Welcome to the Gifts Compass podcast. My name is Nicholas Toko and I'm an organizational effectiveness consultant and currently training as a Jungian analyst in Zurich, Switzerland. I'm from London in the UK and my family origins are from Uganda in East Africa. My name is James Johnston. I'm the author of the book, Jung's Indispensable Compass and the lead architect for the Gifts Compass Inventory. I live in the United States, currently in Northwest Ohio. My name is Annelise Lannesais. I am a self-awareness and mental fitness coach, and I work with individuals wanting to add more meaning and enjoyment to their life. I am from Estonia and currently living in Geneva, Switzerland. This podcast is about the Gifts Compass Inventory, or GCI. The GCI offers a fresh approach to Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's original eight psychological types. The well-validated and broadly acclaimed Gifts Compass Inventory focuses on the personal growth and development of unique individuals. We are so excited to share our understanding of type with you. We're passionate about type and our aim is to help you understand type, how to use type to better understand yourself, to have better relationships at home, in a social setting or in the workplace. This podcast, along with the next three, will consider Jung's four functions and their attributes when either introverted or extroverted. When the four functions are modified by either introversion or extroversion, they form the eight types. As you will hear, each of the four functions is dramatically transformed when either introverted or extroverted. In some cases, the introverted function bears very little resemblance to the extroverted function, even though it is the same base function. Gifts Compass was really drawn from Jung's original psychology and his focus on psychological types, which was pretty simple in its essence. It's really about what he called the four functions of sensation, intuition, thinking, and feeling. And for him, that was a kind of compass. And he talked about that compass as being one that was virtually indispensable for his voyages of discovery and psychology. So the the foundation of the gifts compass is just very simple. It's two rational functions that he called thinking and feeling, and then two receptive functions that he called intuition and sensation. And it was Carl Jung who coined the term introversion and extroversion, which simply refers to sort of psychic energy, either going inward to the inner life or outward into the world. And so when you add that psychic energy to these four functions, you get the eight psychological types. So thinking and feeling, for example, when introverted, they become introverted thinking and introverted feeling. When extroverted, they're extroverted thinking and extroverted feeling. Intuition and sensation, the same. You can have introverted intuition and extroverted intuition and introverted sensation and extroverted sensation. So those are the eight types, and from those eight types, we've coined the eight gifts of the Gifts Compass Inventory, but they're really born from Jung's original work. So probably the easiest to understand are what you call the rational types, or those types that are assessing life, and thinking is often the easiest one to start with, because people kind of think of mental activity as thinking. And so you 
have this thinking function that's assessing life in a logical way. And when extroverted, it's called extroverted thinking. When introverted, it's called introverted thinking. To sort of characterize the kind of attributes associated with each of those, we've given terms to those types of thinking. So for introverted thinking, for example, when the gifts comes, it's called conceptual or conceptual thinking. When extroverted, it's called constructive thinking because it's forever constructing order. We might start just with a deeper inquiry into just those two and then cover each of the eight types that way or the eight gifts that way to get a better sense of what these attributes are like that we would associate with these psychological types, these eight psychological types, which we call gifts on the gifts compass. So extroverted thinking might be the easiest to start with because we're all kind of familiar with it. We all sort of bump into it day to day. We've all experienced it, you know. It's all about keeping things organized. Yeah, I was wondering whether we could just say a little bit more about extroversion and introversion. Sure. So extroversion is an orientation to the outer world. So yeah. like the outer ob- the outer object. Yeah. And then introversion has an orientation to the inner world. Mm-hmm. And we would call that the inner objects. So it'll be really interesting to see how thinking looks like when it's oriented to the outer world and when it's oriented to the inner world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it changes dramatically yeah. you know, mm-hmm. in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. So extroverted thinking, constructive thinking, it comes very easily to some people. And those people will like to organize things. They'll like to sort of be in control. They'll like to manage what's going on and it can come with a lot of difficulty to people in which case they prefer not to have things organized they tend not to want to deal with those kinds of detailed orderly things in their own lives so there's a whole spectrum in terms of one's enjoyment of that gift but things wouldn't get organized in the outer world without it you know actual for organizing virtually anything we, we, the three of us may have experienced it in our own lives. Does it come easily? Is it, mm-hmm. or is it difficult to apply? I mean, how does it feel for you? I love organizing. <laughs> a house. <laughs> I love organizing a house. It distresses me. But I'm thinking it can also be like, for example, an accountant, which I definitely, I don't you know, I detest doing that. That type of constructive order. I do it. Yeah. It doesn't come easily. Yeah, because when you said uh, organizing a house, that sounds, and we're probably going to get that later on in the podcast, but more like extroverted sensation, which mm-hmm. might be a bit more, yeah, we'll have, it might be a little bit more organizing the environment. But for me, extroverted thinking has come quite easily to me. It may, I may have mistyped myself actually mm. earlier on in my career where I thought I was more extroverted thinking, but that's not the case. <laughs> For me, it works in a way that I can gather a lot of information about stuff and not necessarily get into detail about any of them. But I'll know a broad number of facts, information, etc. But I won't necessarily go into depth about something. So the function for me is very extensive, I think, in mm-hmm. sense. Applicable in many situations, for sure. I had to develop more significant constructive thinking when I took up the profession of architecture several decades ago. I'm not working as an architect now. You really can't get a building built. You can't really work with a contractor 
unless you're attuned to that kind of very regimented, constructive thinking that seems to seize timelines and schedules, finding ways to get all that organized to, you know, to bring all the materials onto the site and to make a building out of what was otherwise a very conceptual idea. So I think we were all sort of thrown into situations where we have to develop constructive thinking in order to manage our lives in the world, whether it comes easily at first or not. My preparation for this podcast just now was probably an example of expert thinking. You know, I wrote down the structure of this podcast on our flip chart. It gives me that construction that I need in order to get my thoughts together in some sort of logical, structured way. That's the essence of yes. constructive thinking. Logical, constructive way. Yeah. And then when we look at feeling, it'll be a whole different kind of rationality that, that logic really doesn't quite understand. Yeah. But when you take that same thinking and you bring it in inward into the inner life, the inner images and ideas. So it changes the nature of thinking entirely. The constructive thinking sort of like gives gives you the flow. It can give you the flow. Like for example, planning for a trip. When you pack and uh, when are you leaving and having these things in order helps you to have a smooth trip in a way. External, and you'd have to externalize in some sort of way. So you will put it on a project plan, you'll write a checklist, you'll have a list of things to do, and it will just all be written in a very structured, logical way, because you're just making sense of all the facts that you've gathered through a a thinking function, and then you then have to externalise it in some sort of way. So that's how it kind of works for me. And in my career, I've done many things. I can never really give myself a title other than I'm a consultant. I've been a consultant in HR, I've been a consultant in leadership development, I've been a consultant in organizational change, and I know a vast amount of information, but I know there's some limitations to some of my work because I can't necessarily write in depth on certain topics that I'm advising on. And often I'll, again, excellent sensation, I'll do it because it's spontaneous and I'll just get on with it, but I'll then have to use my extroverted thinking function again to gather data to know how to do it. That makes sense. I'm continually gathering information. So I may not necessarily know how to, let's say, I don't know, deliver this specific project for a client. I can learn as I'm doing it because the thinking function will just go out and find the information it needs. So extrovert thinking would be the kind of function that also goes out like a researcher? I'm thinking of Charles Darwin, who Jung identified, used as a sort of example of extrovert thinking at work. Thinking is an extensive kind of thinking. That is, you want to take in as much data as possible. And then once you've got all that data, find ways of creating order out of it. Charles Darwin is sort of a great example of that. You know, his adventures on the Beagle and gathering all the specimens and artifacts from that voyage, bringing it back to England, having it all laid out. And looking for ways to order all of that information, which you know he was able to do. And after 20 years of studying all that and thinking about it and creating order out of it, developed his theory of evolution. But a good example was someone who needed extensive data to organize and you know make sense of it and then apply what you would call a ruling formula, which in his case was the formula of natural selection. And to make sense of it all. Introverted thinking goes the other way. I mean, it's highly conceptual, still creating order, but 
in a much different way. And it's interesting because there was a conceptual thinker in the South Seas who was also a naturalist, a guy by the name of Lefford Russell Wallace, who was lying in a hammock for a couple of weeks because he fell ill. And he was a naturalist. And this is an example, I guess, of how introverted thinking isn't necessarily working with material facts. It's working with ideas. So one of the gifts companies we call it the conceptual thinking. He's lying in a hammock and he has this idea that arrives. He doesn't know where it comes from, really. It's an idea that sort of falls into his inner life and he takes note of it. And so he's applying the same thinking function, but now inwardly. So in a way, he's sort of circumambulating that conceptual idea to arrive at an elegant something, you know, an elegant solution or an elegant idea that where he's worked out all the complexities of it. When he was feeling better, he wrote it all down in two or three pages, and he didn't know what to do with this idea that had just sort of fallen into his hammock with him in a way. We sent it off to a friend of his in England, who was also, also a naturalist. Well, that naturalist's name was Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin looked at his idea that he came up with in two weeks, and he looked at his idea that he had come up with after 20 years of research, and the ideas were essentially identical. So Darwin presented both his and Wallace's concept to the royal society at that time. And they gave both of these guys the authorship of the theory of evolution. Very few people know that today because Charles Darwin continued with his research and continued with his writing. And Wallace went off to some other pursuits. It's a good example of how conceptual thinking starts with the idea and, and develops the, you know, the idea and the solution. And constructive thinking really has to start with all the particular parts to make sense of them, to create that order. It sounds like it's the researcher, right? But they also are drawn to the intensity of the search, they have some sort of idea and they go out to then seek some understanding of it. Even it may, I guess, in the face of it, look like it's expert thinking, but they're trying to resolve an inner question, right? So it's more introverted thinking. Conceptual thinking. And they could be researchers too, but their focus is always on this conceptual idea. Yeah. Darwin is a more classic researcher in that he needs to gather all the data. He needs to gather all the empirical evidence to formulate the hypothesis. Conceptual thinking kind of goes the other way. It starts with a possible hypothesis, and it'll bring in facts as they're needed to support the hypothesis, whereas the other one, which is a more deductive thinking, starts with all the facts and then deduces the hypothesis through its constructive thinking. So that's one application of constructive thinking, but everyday use of constructive thinking is, you know, what do I need to buy at the grocery store? How do I get from... Zurich to Geneva, figuring things out like that, gathering the data, making the decision, following through with logical conclusions. It's why all the trains in Switzerland run on time and count on the train being there when it says it's going to be there. That's all constructive thinking. Do you think that constructive thinking needs more proof? You know, when you go and talk to them, you need to have a lot of proof and evidence to provide to, you know, and what about that conceptual 
they sort of widely think about sort of like process this idea quickly through their head and it matches their thought process. They don't need the detailed proof to they say, okay, yeah, this is this sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I think <laughs> the constructive yeah. is like, okay, give me the evidence. Tomorrow, I'm going to bring some clients. The introverted thinking type will, will listen to me and will understand the logic of my argument, but I'll know they're assessing it against some sort of preconceived formula that it needs to meet mm-hmm. and concept. And so to, it, they're a lot harder to persuade with facts and figures presented to them. You really have to, you can tell you really have to persuade them where. An extrovert thinking type in a meeting will look at my facts and figures and go, Yeah, I get it. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And they can make quick decisions. They make quick decisions. With introvert thinking types, I have to work extra hard because for me, it's not my, it's not a idea introvert thinking. I can think of original concepts, but they don't come naturally to me. I have to spend a lot of time and effort persuading someone with a preference for introverted thinking of my own ideas yeah. or facts and figures. So, there, yes, there is a difference mm-hmm. in that in how it's experienced and how it shows itself in someone. Well, maybe with the introverted thinking, it is hard to reach a decision anyways, that one thing is if you are meeting their thought, maybe they were in the same thought process and you met them and boom, he actually agrees with you, but a couple of days later, they might have evolved. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then it changes. Yeah, yeah no, so you're absolutely right. Oh, I need to... Think about it more and yeah, yeah yes. the right to a yeah. decision. Because what they'll do is they'll take the idea and really rethink it through almost again. They take the idea yeah. and take it somewhere else. They refine it. They make it more sophisticated. I haven't done that. So I always find with some of my clients who have introverted thinking, they'll always come up with something new on the idea that we originally discussed, which I hadn't thought about. It can sometimes feel like it's a bit tricksterish. Like, well, we talked about right, this. Right. Right. Agreed. You, you would. You what I have to appreciate is they've taken it into the unconscious and they've worked on it in right. a way that I'm still presenting it out here as an external factor figure. So yeah, you're right. It can it's, it can run you ragged. <laughs> it's, that's why architects have never done designing. They have their holistic idea. They have their clear, elegant solution. There it is. But you know, while they were in the shower the next morning, they saw another possibility for that elegant idea that could make it even more elegant and so if i just adjust that design a little bit more you know then it becomes even and it sort of sings to me it resonates with me even more than it did originally yeah. so it's a boundaryless process of coming to conclusions that can always move to the next conclusion whereas extrovert thinking it seems and self-constructive thinking once the conclusion has been drawn there it is Mm-hmm. It's in concrete, and now we create boundaries around it, and this is the way we're going to do it. Both are useful. Both are extraordinary gifts. And the idea is to not to overuse either one of them, ultimately, for an individual, to be able to engage both sides, thinking both inwardly and outwardly. For me, the thinking has always been, a, you know, especially if I'm around people who love the work with numbers, I feel I feel scared. Uh, <laughs> I might say something wrong. No, I wonder if constructive, you know, if the extroverted thinking are they more judgmental? Yes. Because things are so much more clear. Yes. Yeah. More black and white. Yeah. I don't want to be judged. So is that how it 
feels like to you that it's like a judgment? Yes. Yeah. Because I feel this, I don't, yeah, I feel the same way of introverted thinking that if I almost feel like they're judging my my logical thought about a particular problem. I feel, well, have I got this right? So you can feel almost judgmental, but it's... And they're evaluating your position vis-a-vis that holistic, elegant idea they have in mind. Yes. But with the extroverted version, it's mostly things are black or white. Whereas in the introverted thinking, because they are evaluating, but then you can always bring in different points of view and you can you know, evolve and discuss and with uh, extroverted, maybe because it is exactly, I'm at the exact opposite of it on the compass. So it feels to me that it is scary to be in, you know, I love to create order that things are, I like to make a list and things like that. But when it comes to this really tiny detail that the comma was exactly at the right place and... They see the whole, right? As you, see, it's like those unifying themes and relationships and abstract principles. See the whole. Yes. Whereas the extroverted thinking type hasn't seen the whole, so that's a disconnect with the introverted thinking type. They're just saying, "Well, I see the whole. You're just showing me a quarter of it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole being W H O L E. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they won't necessarily tell you, but the rest they can see. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know how to. They don't know how to express it. Again, the extrovert, mm-hmm. it's more of an inward orientation. So it could feel judgmental, but actually they're just seeing a lot more than you are. And another thing actually just came to me is that I think that extroverted thinking, they don't speak a lot. They, they don't say many words. Very concrete, very to the point. Like, I'm always impressed how they can just say so much in like five words and it just says everything very clear. <laughs> Versus when you then ask the introverted thinker, you could get like three pages of an answer. Or, yes, it, or none. It, it'll, be very diff- it'll be very difficult for them to articulate the whole idea that they've been cultivating for all that time. Mm-hmm. You know, to put it on the table and to talk about it can be very difficult. Because it's so complex, you know, Jung said they, they would just like to take this grand idea, put it in front of you and expect that you understand it immediately, which nobody ever does. I was just watching a film, A Beautiful Mind, the other day, you know, these mathematicians who were coming up with these very complex conceptual notions. I think they're all, you know, that kind of higher math that's almost always an example of this conceptual introverted thinking going on dealing with ideas, mathematical ideas in a logical way. Feeling on the other side of the compass is something that Jung considered also rational. I like it that he regarded thinking and feeling as sort of being rational equals. And thinking can't understand how feeling could be rational. And feeling might feel the same way about thinking, but you know, for thinking it's oriented to logic. Feeling is oriented to values or valuations, which is a whole different kind of rationality, but for young, equally rational.